Hello, friends. Come on in. I've made sure there's plenty of seats this time. Each one of them has a cushion. So no fighting, okay? Good. Now, here with me today is Sam. Hi. Welcome back. It's good to be back. And today, we're here to talk about stories. No, I don't mean the story that I'm telling with Evan and Patrick. That is a story, yes. What I mean is stories the mechanic of Seventh Sea. So Sam, tell us, what are stories? So stories are what Seventh Sea has instead of experience points in other games. It's an advancement mechanic. Instead of, congratulations, you have killed enough goblins to know how to speak Elvish now, you gain advancements, mechanical character advancements, through the experiences of your character. You play out a story, you define the steps as you go, and you have a specific narrative goal in mind, like, this is what I want to happen, and once I do this, I get that advancement. So it seems like a high narrative mechanic? So when we talk about fiction-first play, when we talk about putting the story of the game ahead of the rules, that includes stories. And so one thing that people sometimes have trouble with with stories in general is they think, wait, so you define everything that's going to happen and then you go and play all that out? Are you scripting your RPG? No, you're not. Not entirely, but we'll get to that in a second. It doesn't replace play. It guides play. That's the gist of what stories do and why we do them. They're a way of adding a much more narrative element to the advancement mechanic of the game. With that in mind, let's take a look at what it says in the book. The goal is the narrative ending to your story, what we see on camera when you actually get the thing, when you do the thing that you want to do, and the reward is what changes on your character sheet mechanically. A mechanical advancement or improvement to your character sheet. Right. And every story has a set of steps, mechanically. Narratively, we consider them more as beats, or scenes in the story that are meant to happen, that we see on screen, or in my case, that the camera pays attention to. And those steps are determined by the cost of the advantage, or the skill, rank, or adding a point to traits. They can be as little as one step in a story, or as many as five. It's however many steps the GM decides that is worth for things that aren't specifically outlined. So if you're like, I want to be king of Montaigne. Well, theoretically, the GM could say 50 step story. Let's do it. Or you could just play it out narratively. But, eh, you know, whichever way you want to do. And there are two different kinds of stories. Well, there are many kinds of stories, but let's break it down there are player stories where they want a personal advancement, and then there are GM stories where everyone advances. Which do the same thing. They also get a reward, but it's the GM deciding what scenes they want to include in the game. Because, fun fact, the GMs are playing too. It's true. <laughs> Always remember that the GM is also playing the game, but just in a different way. Because the GM is allowed to have fun too. Not just the players. And I'll say it louder for the GMs in the back who can't hear me. You're allowed to have fun. Yeah. 
that's a very important thing. The golden rule of RPGs is if everyone's having fun, you're doing it right. The GM is part of everyone. If it is a chore to run the game, something needs to change. Just as if it is a chore to play the game, something needs to change. So let's talk about player stories. Let's talk about player stories. So you have players. I do. And those players, I presume, have some stories. They do. So I've been listening to each episode, and I'm very happy to hear how these things go. But it's nice to see a peek behind, because I don't get to see you guys record this in the first place. I don't know what's happening on the character sheets. So what are the stories that these guys have been working with? The very first stories that they made were for advantages. They looked through the core rulebook, found some advantages that were really cool and fit their character in the moment, and that's what they wanted their story to be about, getting those advantages. So, Waylon's first story was for the Deadeye advantage, and he called it The Boy with Death in His Eyes. Okay, <laughs> ominous. For our lovely listeners, the Deadeye advantage is a three-point advantage, you gain one bonus die when you make an aim risk using a pistol, blunderbuss, or a thrown weapon such as a knife or an axe, which was perfect for Wayland considering he was a marksman. So he had a three-step story involving, you guessed it, shooting something with those smaller weapons. His goal for the story was to solve a problem from a distance using a dagger or a pistol. Now, that sounds very cut and paste, and that's because it is. These were the very first stories, and if you'll remember, I am teaching them the game as we play, so the story goals will get juicier as we go along, I promise. But for now, they are just what the advantage grants. That's right, the first few episodes were their first session. Right. Another fun fact, Articles 1 through 3 was one session. And it was their very first session. And of course, because of that, their goals were very narrow. In the sense that they were granting an advantage, and so they turned it into the goal of the story. It's not tied to a specific plot or a specific character moment. But that's something that comes with time, as we'll talk about later. So, the first step in Wayland's story was miss a shot he should have hit. That was the end of Article 3, right? When Jesse was over with Captain What's-His-Name and everything was terrible and he's, the strangling was happening and the stabbing with a big chunk of wood and then a gun appears and Wayland draws a bead and just executes a palm tree in cold coconut milk. I don't know, dead. That palm tree never stood a chance. <laughs> Step two was, have my eyes give me away. Ah, which took place, I think, at the Bucket of Blood? Yes, in Article 4, where he was recognized by Mad Maeve, his old quartermaster. And step three was, save the Bucket of Blood without the use of my guns. Mm. Interesting for the Deadeye advantage, where learning how to get along without it so that you appreciate it more, it's a cool counterpoint to what the advantage actually gives. That happens more often than you think. In fact, all the time, at least when I make stories, it's like, man, I that advantage really would come in handy right now. Yeah, that's something I've found with stories is it can be fun to look at the advantage you want 
and then put your character through a situation where, boy, having that advantage would be a really helpful thing right about now. Wouldn't it be nice if I had this advantage? <laughs> Wouldn't that be grand? And then you suffer through it without the advantage so that you never have to again. Yep. And Waylon tried to shoot his gun, and I said, nope. The powder was wet. So it's funny. I thought that was just a really interesting use of a danger point. Turns out you were just handing him his story step. Very convenient. You're such a nice GM. Not making them work for it at all. Oh, they work for it. And then the goal was solve a problem from a distance with either a dagger or a pistol. Now, the story is written says that he needed to solve a problem with either a dagger or a pistol. Wayland actually used the torch to solve the problem of the bucket of blood, you know, going up in flames. So as written, it didn't happen. So instead of dagger or pistol, it's dagger or pistol or convenient magical item. Still technically a smaller weapon. Still a dead eye. Still a dead eye. That's cool. You'll note that I didn't force the story to be like that. I didn't force Wayland to have to use a pistol or a dagger in order to achieve his goal. I instead had him change his story. We play very much fiction first, as you'll hear a lot. And instead of bending the fiction to fit the goal, I rearranged the goal so that it fit the fiction. Makes sense that way. And it's a lot easier to do. If you're going through and you're like, oh, wait, I have a much better idea of how this should end, then change the story. That's totally okay. We talked about raises last time and how sequences work and all that. And a raise is how you change where the story is going. And it's very immediate. It's how you make the story take a sharp turn to avoid that particular rock. Story steps are also steering, but on the grand level. They're not swerving around a pothole, they're picking the route. So story steps are typically more general than something you'd be spending a raise on. They're mostly a way of deciding what scenes you want to actually have in the story, and then how those scenes resolve, well, that's what we play for. And it turns out that Waylon's goal was as simple as realizing he is a good shot without his gun. He doesn't always need to have the crosshairs in order to be effective. So, boom, story done. Got the dead eye advantage. Which brings us to our good Captain Jesse. Yes. He wanted the fencer advantage, which is a three-point advantage. You gain one bonus die when you make a weaponry risk using a rapier, dagger, cutlass, or similar weapon in one hand. And his story was named He Who Dances with the Wind. Cool. So what's his goal? When does he get that? Resolve a situation using only the guidance of the wind. Very broad. At least this is character specific. Not too many people have the guidance of the wind unless it's just follow that kite. Again, first time ever doing stories. So they're going to be broad. Of course, that was what it was when it was first written. Same thing with his step one. Be wounded in a duel he expects to win. Okay. Evan had no idea that Evenrude was a duelist. <laughs> he went back and listened to the episode and contacted me and said, I was today years old when I learned that he was a duelist. When I geeked out about how the duel went with this duelist and how to handle a duelist when you're not a duelist? Yep, so he fought a duelist. So that was his step one? He definitely was wounded. He most certainly was. And I'm not sure if he expected to win... But he 
certainly did, using... by not dueling, in fact. Look, there's more than one way to win a duel. You can win a duel just by kicking someone's knees out and throwing them down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Totally valid. This isn't the Olympics. These are pirates. What's step two? Step two was find the master swordsman who trained my mother. Hmm. The funny thing about this is that both of their step twos unknowingly tied them into their backstories together. What I love about this as well is both of them allowed you to introduce an NPC for them to talk to and interact with and care about, which is really neat. I really like a story step that connects people more to the world and the setting, which is, you know, a very good way of getting people invested in what's going on. Because, yeah, I want to talk to this person. If it's going to get me the fencing advantage, there's actual reward here. So there's more investment than just character and roleplay to talk to people and get involved. And getting them to care about the NPCs made it easier for them to figure out their next steps. Because then I put them in danger. So protect Miguel and Raul. Indeed. This is another thing. These steps were done one at a time. You would resolve one and then come up with what the next one will be based on that. Now, when we originally sat down and did the stories, they had filled out all of the steps and the goals ahead of time. And I looked at them and I said, okay, I could tell this story exactly how you've written it. However... Where is the fun for me? Where do I get to throw anything in? This is scripted, essentially. So I had to basically reel them back. I had to reel them back and say, let's work on one step at a time. And if something interesting comes up or if something changes, then you can more easily go with the flow as opposed to, oh, no, I'm stuck in this rigorous script. I must follow this. Same thing with me. If you give me a script, I will follow it. But it's not really that fun sometimes. There's no element of surprise. As a storyteller, there is nothing fun about knowing how the story ends and having to tell it to that ending. Either you're going to have things that are too specific and so you lose some of the drama of, okay, where are things going to go from here? Or you write it out like a Nostradamus prophecy where it is so broad that literally anything could fit it. And that sort of defeats the purpose of, of having a tailored story. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of doing it one at a time. At least in terms of the specifics of what the story step is. And so his last one was resolve a situation using only the guidance of the wind. Have we seen that yet? Yes. At the end of Article 5... Jesse used the wind to defeat Metalbeard at the very end there. Because they had established that in order to put out fairy fire, you have to remove the wind. So he said, huh, I wonder what happens if I add more. Oh, okay. Interesting. Take out this dude with just wind. He certainly accomplished his goal. So that's very cool. So these are beginner stories. People who've never really done a story before, but they definitely hit the stuff of what a story needs to do. There's some really good things. I think step two for both of these was definitely the big one for both because it tied into backstories and stuff like that and put them both in moments where Wayland had to confront an element of his past and Jesse had to think about his mom a lot, which can make him sad. And... That is, I think, a great way to 
figure out how you want to do a player story, which is ask questions about the fiction and about your character. Exactly. Wayland built a character based off of his marksmanship. And so he put himself in a situation that made him not use what he's good at. Put himself in circumstances that made him question if he was good enough or not. Look at the advancement you're doing, or just in general, like what you want to happen, and just say, all right, how would my character have to change to get that advancement? What hard lessons do I have to learn in order to get better at shooting? And that'll give you a general idea for the theme of the story. What do you want to know about your character? What do you want to show the audience about your character? How do you want to test your character? It doesn't have to be something specific, but it helps you tie the flow of the story to what you're actually getting. So instead of, I've killed enough goblins to learn Elvish, it's, oh, I have talked to enough elves and engaged in elven diplomacy and went to the elven library. Yeah, stories aren't arbitrary experience. It is the experience. So this is something that Powered by the Apocalypse games talk about. Ask questions and use the answers, and also be a fan of the characters. That's all part of this. Am I a soldier or a monster? Do I serve my mother by my will or hers? How far will I go to save my sister? These are interesting questions that even you, as the player of that character, might not know the answer to. How will Wayland react to elements of his past. How will he react to not having his guns as a thing he can use? What about Jesse? How is he going to handle himself in a sword fight against someone who's better? How is he going to react to people who knew his mother and maybe knew things about his mother that he didn't? How is he going to react to this guy coming to kill him and Wayland and the people who knew his mother? These are character questions and fictional questions, and those lead to good story. At which point you need to figure out how long you need to spend on that story. Right. Doing a one-step story for those just doesn't seem like enough, whereas a five-step story seems a little bit too long. So a three-step was just the perfect amount for these. You know how many steps it's going to be based on the reward, so a one-step story is just a little interlude, whereas a five-step story is a full-on plotline. And a good thing to remember with this is the length of the story, if we look at each story step as a scene that you want to see in the game, then you can kind of get an idea for how big of a thing you want to cover with that story, how big of a question. If it's a one-step story, it shouldn't be a character-defining big moment that's going to change everything forever. But, but you also don't want to have a five-step story accomplished in an uneventful afternoon. That should be something big. So that's a good way of hammering this out. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Oh, also, 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 talk to your GM. Please? Pretty please? Pretty please with cherries and whipped cream and sprinkles on top? Talk to your GM. Ask them Hey, where's the plot going? I will gladly give you a ticket to the plot train. Round trip. I'll tell you the station where you can go and the platform on which you can hop on the plot train. 
I won't tell you every stop, but I will tell you your destination. Because if the GM thinks, all right, we're setting sail tomorrow, and you come up with a whole story that involves you staying on land in this same city, like a five-step story, well, guys, I guess we're not going anywhere. Or maybe we're coming back? I don't know, but... That'll help you plan your story around the larger plot elements that your character is going to be interacting with. And when your story can interact with the story the GM is telling and bounce off it, that makes it easier for everyone. Speaking of which... Yes, while Evan and Patrick had a story, I also had a story. A GM story. What stories have you had? Give us an example. The first GM story was called Woe Betide Black Betty. Wasn't that an episode title? But of course. Huh. Spoilers are the narrator's enemy, while foreshadowing is our best friend. So, the story had two steps, therefore it granted a two-step advancement. Oh, so they could either get a two-point advantage or pick up their second rank in a skill. Yes, but we're going to put a pin in that because that's a topic I want to touch upon later. The goal of the story was to save the survivors of the Black Betty from the clutches of the ATC, which they knew at the very beginning. Yeah, you're a big fan of transparency with GM story. Like I said, I'm a big fan of letting my players know where to find the plot train, how to get on the plot train, and where the plot train is going to end up. Again, I'm not going to tell you every step. You'll learn those along the way when we stop at them or when we pass them by. But I've learned that if you want to keep them on a certain path, it's just easier to tell them how to stay on that path than it is to hide it from them. You can still have surprise elements along the way because again, the GM is playing too, but it's easier just to tell them outright. Okay. And so, when they were presented with information about the Black Betty, they looked at the story step and said, Hey, oh, hey, that's the story. Hey, that's the plot. That looks like a mighty delicious hook to bite down on. So what was step one? Step one was learn what happened to the Black Betty. In some very disgusting negotiation. That's a word, yeah. Which is neat, because here you don't say how they learned. So they could have turned their cannons on Kip. They could have strong-armed him. They could have run across Survivor. They could have done anything to just find out based on what they were trying to do, what they wanted to do, if you hadn't planned that scene out. I'm also a big proponent of ambiguity in GM stories. I give enough of a basis to go off of, and my players fill in the details. Yeah, there is a scene in which they learned what happened to the Black Betty. How they learn it is up to them. Exposition occurs. So what's step two? Find and explore near the wreckage of the Black Betty. This could have gone so many different ways. There could have been some spelunking. They could have found the wreckage whole or in parts and explored in that. However, they looked at the goal and they said, well, the ATC ship is around here somewhere. And if they had a fight with the Black Betty, then that ship isn't doing well either. This would be the scene where you could show burned timbers from an ATC ship mm -hmm. with an ATC paint job. That's half a mast, but it's not the kind of mast that would be on the Black Betty. So that would be a way of guiding them towards that goal. And they did it. They came up with a plan. They stormed the beach. <laughs> no pun intended. 
and rescued the survivors of the Black Betty. And there we go. And so they got their two-step advance. Do you know what they took for their two steps? I believe they went from rank one to rank two in a skill. Which is a very neat use of the GM story for stuff that you want your character to have, but don't necessarily want to spend screen time on. If you're thinking, I don't want to necessarily have a whole story about how much better I am at convincing people now, you can just use GM stories to accomplish that stuff. Remember that pin that I talked about earlier about advancements and how many you could get? Well, we're going to take that pin out now and we're going to talk about that. Evan looked through the book and saw that he wasn't really jiving with any of the two-step advancements, but there were a couple of one-step advancements he wanted. And after talking about it, I decided that, hey, there's really nothing in the rules that prevents me from granting more than one advantage. So I made a house rule. If there's something that you want that you don't want to make a story out of, but it's not necessarily within the guidelines of cost as written in the rule book, you can then allocate your points as needed. So in this case, Jesse bought two one-step advancements for a total of two points because the advancement I had given him was two points. Oh, interesting. Technically, I think the way the rules go is it's an advancement of up to two points. So theoretically, it would have been perfectly possible to say, oh, I'll take a one-point advantage instead. That's typically what I do. I'll do a five-step GM story and say, cool, have any one thing that's up to five points. And you can spend it on a three-point if that's what you want. That's totally okay. You don't have to go for the big thing. It's just it kind of encapsulates whatever you want to do. Yes, but being that they didn't want to dedicate a lot of screen time to these little one-step stories, and considering I play fiction first, it kind of made sense for Jesse to have sea legs when he didn't have sea legs before. Sea legs is one step, so why not? It's all what feels right for your group and your tape. And for us, it feels right. Also, you are in kind of a special place because you're running a game for a podcast. And so what happens on screen can be somewhat important because if something isn't super interesting, it might end up on the cutting room floor and you don't want story steps to not happen on screen. And so doing a little of the bookkeeping ones off to the side, you know, is a way to go. Now I can see right away. In fact, I can practically hear some of the GMs out there going, oh no, they're going to advance too fast if you do it that way. First of all, I don't believe in advancing too fast. Secondly, I did pull the reins back a little bit. Let's say I gave them a five-point advancement. They can buy a five-point advantage or use it like a point system. However, they can only use it in one category. And what I mean by that is you can either put the points into skills, you can either put the points into traits, or you can use them to purchase advantages. You cannot put some points into skills, and then buy an advantage. Or move some traits around, and then put some points into skills, and then buy a little one-pointer. That, I believe, is min-maxing. And it kind of takes away from the flavor of the game. I do want them to enjoy it, and I want them to take their time with it. I also don't want to waste time on things that nobody really wants to see, screen-wise, or game-wise. I want to do what's fun by them. And this, for us, is fun. 
And I know some other GMs out there that use GM stories to grant specific advancements. And that's not written in the rules anywhere, so you can do what you like with your GM story. Whatever's fun for you. Because that's the golden rule. Yeah, GM stories are super interesting. Because every other system in the world calls them adventures. That's really what it is. This is where you have your intro, your build-up, your climax, and like, this is the what's happening in the game from the GM side of it. This is where you would do your planning and prep as a GM, is figuring these out. If you're having trouble coming up with GM stories or need to think about how to do that, same rules apply as with player stories. You can use a question or a series of questions to guide you. This is, what do you want to know about the heroes in general? How do they deal with fear or hopelessness or despair? I don't know. They've only been winning, so I'm going to make them lose. Or can they put aside their differences and work with a villain towards a common goal? Well, I've got a villain that's still kicking around that I know they hate. Let's find out. Or is bringing the villain to justice more important than repairing the harm that he's caused? Do you go chasing after this wicked pirate captain, or do you help these people rebuild? I don't know. I want to know. Let's find out. I'll make a story about it. And that gives me a theme. And now once you have the theme, you can explore that for the duration of the GM story. And then you culminate in a final scene where you find out. That action at the end reveals what you want to know. You set up the scene and play it out and your players will answer your question. And in so doing, they will reveal more of themselves to the audience, the audience consisting of them and you. In most cases, Zoe's audience, a few more people, and that's good character development, and that's well worth rewarding, and hence a story advancement. GMs, talk to your players. Yes! Help them come up with stories, because if you can help them come up with stories, you can tell your story together. This is a collaborative effort. If something isn't making sense or a player is struggling with what to do next, step into your own writer's room and come up with a beat that makes sense for the narrative. That brings us back to the fiction first place because as we all know, as GMs all know, no session prep lasts as soon as players get a hold of it. So even more so than player stories, GM stories need to be flexible. Instead of having your players have to follow a series of delineated steps, this should more be benchmarks that show that you're progressing towards the climax. As long as they're doing things that get them towards the end, you can easily swap out story steps for something that makes sense. If they decided not to go to the wreckage at all, but do something else to scout out the air, they say, do I know the island that they were sort of headed to? Cool. We sail around to the other side of that island and make our way across, doing some navigation risk or something like that. Well, then step two becomes reconnoiter the ATC camp or something like that. It becomes a different thing, but they're still clearly making progress towards saving the sailors of the Black Bay. Don't try to plan out every little thing of how it's going to go. I did with my first story. But I also did not tell my players what the story was, which meant months and months went by. I handed them a treasure map in session zero, and I thought by session two or three they might 
head towards the X on that map, I was wrong. But if I'd done what Zoe does and told them, hey, go follow that treasure map or find the treasure is the goal of this, they would say, oh, maybe we should go looking after that treasure. So that was on me. Again, learning experience. Communication is king, and that's both ways. GMs, talk to your players. Players, talk to your GMs. Just talk. There's no harm in talking. Bounce ideas off of each other. Shoot the shit. Ask questions. Answer questions with questions. You will be surprised what you come up with. This is actually very similar to at the start of a campaign. When you just ask your players, so do you guys want to be at sea? Do you want to be on land? Do you want to deal with the Inquisition? Do you want to deal with pirates? Do you can do that on a smaller scale, just saying, what do you want to see next? And that can give you ideas for what to do. I also mentioned that there are many types of stories, which we would get into. We're going to get into those now. The GM stories are categorized in different themes, which essentially tell you the type of story it is. There's episode stories and there's redemption stories. Campaign stories, retroactive stories. Which is just, oh crap, that should have been a story. All of that is just a way of categorizing different uses for the story mechanic. I just want a brief little interlude on this one island, so this will be an episode story. Oh, this is the main plot of this arc, so it's my campaign story. It's not so much a format you have to follow, so much as ideas for what use you can get out of stories. So don't sit there wondering, what's my episode story going to be? What's my campaign story going to be? Think about what you want to see in the game, and then build stories around that. And then they'll probably slot into one of those categories or another. Whenever my players do something ridiculous outside of what has happened, that's when my GM story becomes retroactive. And I, nine times out of ten, don't even tell them that. It's just like, oh, that's, that's actually way more interesting than what I wrote down. Let's go with that. Let's see where this goes. Yes. When they did that cool thing, that must have been step three. I do that a lot too. But mostly because I've been learning the story system. Running the campaign is how I learned. And it's helped you as a player. You've really made the most of it as a player. I ran a table, I'm still running this table, of five people. Five players at the table. Zoe's the only one who picked a ten-step story as her first. Okay, but that magic axe, though. And let us not forget that I mentioned my GM story the players ignored for a very long time. And I was still learning the system, so I didn't change it, retroactively do it, do other stories, you know, in the meantime. It took us eight months to complete that five-step GM story. In real time, playing once a month. Eight of them. So Zoe went eight months without changing her character sheet in the slightest, other than to take dramatic wounds. I get better the more I bleed. Yeah, well, you were asking for dramatic wounds. I'm the tank, that's what I do. That story remains one of the highlights of that game, and when we hit the goal, it was a moment where both of us were in tears at the table. And the other players were just in shock and awe and applauding at the end. I do not regret one moment of those eight months, because as a player, as a person, I changed. I would not trade that. And that would not have happened without that moment. She had the goal looming 
in the distance and was working towards it. And when she finally got there, it wasn't what she expected. It wasn't what either of us really expected because it built itself in the telling. Every step brought us closer and told us more. And by the time we got to the end, there was only one way it could end. And instead of that being a triumphant goal, it was just gut-wrenching and wonderful and told us so much about this character and who she was. And she changed dramatically after that. If I was just doing that with a normal XP system and had to do all that on my own as a GM, I'm not that brilliant. I couldn't have done it. That's way too much to put on just me. And that is the whole concept of the writer's room. We tell better stories together. There were times during that 10-step story where I was like, guys, what do I do? I want to do this because it makes narrative sense, but I also want to do this because, oh no, this thing. And nine times out of ten, their ideas were better than mine. Because I just got so wrapped up in the character that I couldn't think about the whole overarching plot. I was just blinders on in the moment. They showed me a different perspective, and sometimes that's what's needed. I think it really works. Or at the very least, when it's good, it's great. The story system does have some advantages. It can lead to some really interesting character moments. It can answer questions about these characters and reveal depths to them that you never would have predicted. So keep asking questions about these characters, either your own or the parties, or ask questions about other people's characters and suggest story steps if they're stuck for ideas. I'm going to tip my GM screen just a little bit for you guys. Little GM secret. In front of me is a note card. And that note card has one question on it. And it says, what do you want to know? I ask myself that question while I'm prepping at the beginning of a session, in the middle of a session, near the end of a session, weeks away from a session. I constantly ask myself that question so I can figure out what do I want to know? Do I want to know how a character deals with grief? Do I want to know what happens when someone misses an NPC's birthday party? Do I want to know how deep their loyalty goes to the other characters? What do I want to know? I usually answer my own question. And this comes down to a philosophy of GMing in general, which is something I use, especially when I run Legend of the Five Rings, and something I definitely use in 7C. I want to end each session knowing a little bit more about these characters. I'm interested in knowing who they are. And who they are is shown to us, the audience, by what they do. And stories give them a chance to do things in a theme that lends itself to specific questions about the character. So I personally love the story system. It's one of my favorite parts of a system that I have many favorite parts of. Now what if, as a player or as a GM, you have no ideas whatsoever? Yes, I admit it. This has happened to me, where my players have no idea how to come up with their next story, and I have no idea where to lead the story to. Or a player's like, I would really like this advantage. I have no idea how I'm going to get it. Exactly, I have no idea how to go there. And this is common. Creative drain is a thing. 
And in any performative art, of which roleplay is one, sometimes you're stuck for ideas. You can obviously talk it out with other players, you know, the rest of the table, and get ideas. But this is a question people ask a lot. People say they have problems coming up with stories, which I get. Sometimes, especially if you don't have a lot of time to prep or a lot of time to play, or your players get home from work, play the game, and then go to bed, sometimes you don't want to have your limited time taken up by people spending brain power on story steps. Totally get that. Again, as long as you're having fun, it's fine. But if you need just a basic template to work with... We have a gift for you. We made one. It's for you. You can find it on our Discord aptly named Hands of the Rose, underneath the category Podcast Crew Stuff, and the channel Notes with the Narrator, NWTN, Postscripts. So this will hopefully give you some guidelines. If this makes it easier for you and you think you want to give it a try, please give it a try. Let us know how it went and if it worked for you. Because I think it's something that gets easier with practice and just having any way of starting it should help people get something out of this really, really cool mechanic that 7C has. And I think that about does it. We've covered everything. At least for stories. At least for stories, yes. There's definitely going to be more to talk about at some point. We're probably going to have to talk about the dark mirror of stories. Schemes. Oh yes. Villains get stories too. There will probably be multiple volumes involving villains. Yes, because villains are... Well, we spend a lot of time talking about heroes. And villains are unsettlingly similar to heroes. And villains have their own set of mechanics that are also really funky to work with. So I think that will probably have to be a notes with the narrator at some point. Once we have a true villain arc... And then we can delve into the multiple volumes that will be dedicated to villains. Until then, Sam, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was nice chatting with you. It is always a pleasure to have you here. It's always nice to be here. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Now then, speaking of stories, we should get back to that. Hmm? All right. But first quick water break, and then story time. I'll see you in a bit.